0: All right, well, it is good to have you here this morning. Uh, If you're newer with us, my name is Brian and have the privilege of being on the pastoral team here as well as the privilege of bringing you the message today. And um, however, our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Wayne Kent, who was uh, hoping to be here in front of you today, uh, is unable to... um, just a little story. Uh, this past week, he was experiencing some discomfort in his chest, kind of on and off throughout the week. And then uh, Saturday, decided, you know, actually his doctors decided, you know, you better come and get some tests. And so he had some tests today, overnight, Friday, Saturday, and um, found it in his best interest to uh, have uh, stent put in uh, this uh, yesterday afternoon around uh, 12 o'clock. And so uh, he's doing great. He's doing fine. Um, in fact, saw him before and after the services last night, and uh, he was laying there kind of groggy, and he was like. I could have preached. (laughs) So he's doing well. But as uh, you uh, pray about the things that that are in your life here in the days ahead, uh, we'd obviously uh, be good for us to join together to continue to pray for uh, our senior pastor, uh, Wayne, and uh, the rest of his family in the days ahead. So with that, uh, one of the things that he was kind of bummed that he didn't get to share with you that I now get to share with you uh, were where we are at uh, with the results of our step-in year-end uh, initiative where uh, we wanted to gather and give gifts to step into what God's calling us to do and to be into reaching our community through uh, adding additional children's ministry space to reach more families in our community, as well as launching a brand new ministry center in our Adopt-a-Block ministry down in the block. And so I'm excited to share with you that uh, we've raised $95,688.63, which is really great news uh, for what... which is great news for what, again, God is calling us to pull together uh, to continue to be a light in our community, to share uh, what we've been talking about each week throughout this series, that the message of Christmas is not just uh, something of a tradition to be giving a nod to, kind of throughout the culture, maybe a Christmas, but a reality, uh, that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, that he is with us, and he wants to be with the people of our community, and so very encouraged, by the way, which we pull together to uh, make some more of that happen in the days ahead here as a church, so very cool stuff. And with that today, we want to continue our series, uh, looking at these perspectives, uh, these Christmas perspectives, looking at uh, the various characters, we could say, that sometimes just kind of left... Kind of as white noise, you could say, visible white noise on our mantles each Christmas season of these characters that surround uh, the nativity story of the coming of Jesus Christ. And we want to dive into uh, the fact that they are not characters, they are not figurines, but they are real people from a real time in a real place who really lived, who uh, God demonstrated his very real love to them in giving them the perspective of being engaged in the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And through their perspective, what does God want to teach us In our perspectives as we look not only on Christmas, but uh, again, all the seasons of our lives uh, of those who are aiming to follow him. And so today we're going to look at, after looking at the perspective of Mary and Joseph the last couple of weeks, we're going to look at the perspective of the shepherds, perspective of the shepherds. And you can find that story with me in Luke chapter 2 verse 8 through verse 20. And uh, so we're going to read that together and invite you to open up your Bible or a device that's smart enough to have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you. We've got the page numbers on the screen there to follow along. Um, and, and maybe this, you know, again, if you're like me and um, it's kind of a longer passage, so don't go all ADD on me and check out. Uh, you might even try to engage the passage by just closing your eyes and trying to listen and put yourself in the shoes of the shepherd to try to gain their perspective as we just hear straight from the scriptures the narrative of the shepherd's perspective on the coming of Jesus Christ. So whichever way helps you engage, we're gonna look at that story together. So I'm gonna get my Bible out, that'll be helpful as well. And we're gonna be at Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. And this is immediately following the birth of Jesus. And so Jesus is born, and from there, verse eight says that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. When an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. That today in the town of David in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. From there, the shepherds returned, glorifying, returned to their flocks, returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so the word of the Lord, hearing the perspective of the shepherds. And as we look at these characters of shepherds, you know, what can we say about the shepherds? Um, Essentially, you could probably start off by saying this. Let's just say that if as a young child you ever got to be part of like a Christmas play at church, if you got the role of the shepherd, you got the worst part. (laughs) Because frankly, shepherds in those days, uh, they would qualify, um, uh, you know, if you've ever seen that show on Discovery Channel, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe that was the job of the shepherd. They had the lousiest job you could possibly imagine. They would have made that show because they were, um, you know, even in the, you know, kind of the third world understandings of limited... Um, resources of that time, they were even more, you could say, secluded from it, because they had to live on the outskirts of town. They were secluded from everyone. They had to live off the land, and so they were dirty and smelly. They didn't have any human interaction, so they were kind of socially awkward and weird, and uh, you could even say they maybe just be the, the modern-day equivalent of the, of the crazy cat lady, <laughs> because like the crazy cat lady, they were kind of like the crazy sheep guys. They had no one to talk to except for their little friends, the sheep. And so naturally, that probably doesn't do well for, um, you know, your social development. And so they were, they were kind of the weird guys. They were kind of the, the, kind of the, the, the fringes on the margins, um, the, you could say probably the lowest of the low. Uh, and really when you strip away kind of the religious language we like to use about the idea of being a shepherd, God's our shepherd. Really, it's the lowest of the low that you'd want to be in that time and place. And however, even though that's true, we are reminded yet again, Uh, Just as we've been reminded in different ways of just with Joseph and Mary, the humble and the lowly circumstance to which God chose to usher in this story, this reality that Jesus Christ was gonna enter into humanity. The audience that he chose were what you might say the least of these. And the angels reinforced uh, to the shepherds what he now reinforces to us. It's not just for the lowly. It's not just for the elite. But this verse again, uh, verse 10 The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for all the people. And so that is the good news. That is uh, the perspective of the shepherds that we now have is that, first of all, this good news that Jesus Christ has come is good news for everyone and anyone, regardless of story, circumstance, or anything in between. And that's great news for us all. And so that's good. That's good news. Good news, that good news is for everyone. But the question remains, what is this good news? I mean, it's language that we throw around kind of in church a lot, you know, of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, and even I, I just go, okay, wait, wait, wait. What's so good about this good news? And we are reminded of what that answer is as the angels continue to reveal to the shepherds what is so good about this good news. And we see that in verse 11. They say this, they say, Today in the town of David... This good news is a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so that's the good news. The good news is that this is not just any baby, but this is the awaited uh, awaited Messiah, the awaited Christ. The same word can be interchanged there. And what that means is essentially that the Messiah, the Christ, is the one who is going to be, who is God in the flesh, who is our Savior. First and foremost, he came to be our Savior. Uh, And again, which begs the question, Savior of what? You know, you probably didn't walk into church thinking, I need saved from something. Uh, We don't think about that in those terms. And so let me remind you of what Jesus is, in fact, saving us from. That if you go back to the beginning of your Bible, you see the story of Adam and Eve being created in Genesis 1 and 2. And so everything's great. Everything's going fine. But then they commit that very first sin where they disobey God and go at their own way And from there, everyone who has ever lived on the face of the planet has inherited uh, that sinful nature from our great, 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 grandparents, Adam and Eve. And so we've inherited a sinful nature, and we also, if we're all honest, we know that we have all functionally sinned in our lives. We've all uh, blown it one too many millions of times. And so we all recognize that we have sin in our lives, that we're not perfect, we are imperfect. And the problem with that is, is that We are imperfect, but God is perfect. And so God cannot associate and be in relationship with imperfection, with sin. That's because God's a holy and perfect God. And so we have a problem. We have an issue in that we are separated from a relationship with God because of our sin. And so, and the worst part of it is that there's a result of that separation. It says that that's the the results of our sin in Romans uh, chapter 10, that we are separated forever. Uh, eternally from God because of our sin uh, in hell. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, bad news first. But then the good news is that as a result of our imperfection, I didn't even have that in my notes. Uh, <laughs> that as a result of that, um, that where our mortality kicks in, the problem is where then do we bridge that gap? Where do we, how do we fix what is wrong with that sin gap between us who are imperfect and a perfect God? And the answer is what's, who saves us from that eternal death? Jesus Christ. That's what it means when we say the good news of him being the savior, that when we accept him, not just his birth, but his death as a sacrifice, because he lived a perfect life without sin, as a sacrifice for our sin, for the death that we deserve, when we accept that into our lives, well then, through Jesus Christ, we are then able to have a relationship with God, both in this life, and that lasts all for eternity, life. Jesus came, says, I came to give you life and life to the full. That's made possible through Jesus Christ. And so that's, the, for many of us, I know, a reminder of what might seem a little basic, uh, but trust me, it's not, that Jesus Christ came, and the good news of that is that he is our savior. He saves us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus is our savior. Now, as true as we know that is or are reminded that is here this morning, the struggle and the reason we bring it up again and again and again is because functionally, all too often, we don't live our lives in such a way that reflects that a Savior has already come. Here's what I mean by that, that we, we miss a train when we live and operate in a functional way of life as if really, even though we know Jesus came to save us, it feels sometimes like there's still this weights and measures thing that's still kind of weighing out how good we can be versus how bad we can avoid. Does that make sense? That so we still kind of have this fear within us that, well, still in the end, it's about you know, how much good I can do and how much bad I can avoid. If I can do enough uh, good and avoid enough bad and my morality meter can kind of come out on the positive side, well, then, then really that's what's going to make me okay and good with God. And the truth is that when you live and operate in that mode and you get trapped in that cycle of morality and good versus bad and how much I've got going on, the problem is, is how good is good enough? You can never fully answer that question. You're always going to live in fear of wondering how, am, am, how good is good enough. And so the reality is, is at the end of the day, we all end up, when we live like that, feeling as if we're not good enough. And so let me just encourage you today. You're not. You're not good enough. You stink. Merry Christmas yet again. And the reason that that's such good news the reason it's such good news that you're not good enough is because as the angel said because of our not good enoughness verse 10 do not be afraid because i bring you good news of great joy that's for all people for all of us that today in the town of david a savior has been born and so we were reminded maybe told for the first time it is not us that saves us from ourselves but it is jesus christ who has done the work for us and in us that lasts eternally and you see, the sooner you can recognize that you're not good enough and never will be good enough, the sooner you can stop trying to save yourself in the functional way you live your life and instead long for and place your faith in the true Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Christian life, as again, or life in general, which I think we get trapped in, it's not a reality of you think you can mess up so much that you get to a point where God doesn't love you anymore. It's not a mess up so much, so I guess God's not going to love me or forgive me. It's the total opposite. It's that God loves you so much that he actually went to the lengths of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for you in spite of the fact that you mess up so much. I love the way C.S. Lewis put this. Um, C.S. Lewis is someone that everyone loves to quote, but no one wants to take the time to read. <laughs> me included. <laughs> But the quote is great nonetheless, that when it comes to this, this battle of morality, of good versus bad, and trying to weigh it out, and trying to earn our way toward God, and favor with God, he says it's like this, he says it's like running around in times of flood with a fire extinguisher. That's like running around with a fire extinguisher in times of flood, that we see there's a problem, But we have the wrong solution when we try to earn our way to God in the way in which we try to act and be good enough and avoid the bad. It's not the answer. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior from our sin. And so be reminded, be encouraged, be told for the first time that this is the reality of the Christian life. It makes it different from any other. And so that's the first side of this good news. But the other side of this coin uh, that Jesus Christ is Savior, that as he has promised, he will save us from this dead-end trap of trying to save ourselves and we can now be connected to a relationship with God, not only in this life, but post-mortem, once our mortality kicks in in heaven and for all of eternity, that we can be connected, not just in that afterlife, but in this life, right here and right now, that he is not only the Savior, but then he is also, as we read, the Lord. He is both the Savior and the Lord, or you might say the word leader, Of our lives, as again the words of the angel to the shepherds, what the perspective they got that night is today born to us is a savior, the Messiah or the Christ, depending which translation means the same thing, the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord, the Lord, and so that's all part of this gospel, this good news, and uh, you see, we often make the mistake of thinking that the good news of Jesus Christ of coming. Uh, It's something of a a one-time event for us, that the gospel is kind of like this good news, this message that Jesus came and died for us and that we're forgiven, that it's like this one-time event that if we accept it, we check that off in this whole Christianity thing, okay, I'm in, and then we kind of move on to something else, to more advanced things maybe. But I love the way that Tim Keller corrects us in this. He's a pastor that uh, he just says it better than I possibly could, and we've quoted him uh, this quote before, but it's... It's awesome. So here it is. This really helps. He says, the gospel is not simply the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just the the rudimentary part of it. It's not just the basics. But it is the A to Z of Christianity. And that it's not the basics, but it's the foundation. And foundations never go away. It's foundational as always is. It is the everything of who we are as Christians. He says that once God saves us, he does not move us beyond the gospel into something different but instead moves us more deeply into the gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't just ignite the Christian life, it doesn't just get things started, but it is the fuel that keeps Christian people going and growing every day and in every way. In other words, you could say that the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, it is, as we've examined, the power to save you from your sin eternally, but know this, it's not just for eternity, it's for right now, and that it is also the power to sanctify you from that sin in the actual living of your life right here and right now. Uh, and that word sanctify is kind of a, a churchy word, so you might just say it this way, that the power of the good news of Jesus Christ is the power, yes, to save you, but know also that it is the power to change you as well. It's not just the power to save you, it is also the power to functionally and pragmatically, you could say, change you from the inside out into who you are and the way you live your life. And so this is great news. This is great news because what it does is it it frees us, it liberates us from having uh, to fall into that trap that we talked about a little bit ago of that good versus bad of having to focus on external religiosity where we're always trying to muster up in our own strength, trying to do less sin and do more good to, you know, so to speak, be moral. And again, again, that's what Jesus reminds us of. When he grows up and he starts teaching about this stuff, that's the stuff he teaches over and over again. That it is out of the overflow of who you are on the inside that the outside of your life is gonna be lived. Uh, He said it this way, he said that out of the good stored up in a man's heart, good comes out. Or out of the bad store up in a man's heart, the bad comes out. And so he says, store up the good things in your heart and naturally out of the overflow. He said it when talking about speaking and, and, and the good will come out. In another setting, uh, he's talking to actually the really religious people of the day. And he's correcting them because, again, they had gotten caught up in focusing on the external do's and don'ts and missed the heart matter. And so he says to them, he says, you religious leaders, you are focusing on the outside of the cup. He uses this illustration and focusing on how that looks. He said, first, he said, on the inside, you're filthy. He said, so first off, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, he says, and then the outside will be clean as well. And so time and time again, Jesus reminds us that it is from the inside out, not the outside in, that we are changed and transformed and truly can follow Him. You see, that's why things uh, like like prayer and, and reading and reflecting and impli- impl- implicating, or um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for, um, living out scripture. As we look to scripture and, and being plugged into weekly worship here together, this rhythm of being together and, and focusing on who God is eternally in light of our temporary and uh, getting involved in, in groups where we're, we're looking at God's word and praying for one another and serving and all these things have a way of working on us from the inside that out of the outside would then naturally take place rather than focusing again on the external doing more good and doing less bad of morality. This came to light to me uh, in an interesting way this past week, actually. I was um, had the opportunity to just have a couple of one-on-one conversations sitting across the table from two different people where, essentially, the conversation led to the same point, that as a result of the conversation, they pretty much concluded, or prior to the conversation, were concluding and telling me that, you know, all religions are basically the same. You know, all they're trying to do is pretty much the same thing. They're trying to help people do a little more good a little less bad, and to live moral lives. And the reality is, that is not, as we've been painting, that is not the case in Jesus Christ. It was interesting, actually, yesterday morning, just in my, my Bible reading plan, I came across Romans 10, which I wish I'd had in those conversations, but maybe I'll get another chance, uh, that just, again, emphasizes that the difference between focusing on external morality versus uh, inviting the work of Christ in our lives. It says this, Again, speaking to those who had missed the point, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is a misdirected zeal. For what they don't understand is God's way of making people right with himself. And then he goes into it. He says, you see, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law, by trying to do good, by trying to avoid bad but the Apostle Paul reminds us and them yet again, but Christ has already accomplished this. Christ has already accomplished the purpose of which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are then made right with God. That is different than any other religion you will ever hear about. You will never hear in any other religion that the God of that religion leads by sacrifice that he leads by coming out of his place in heaven stepping into humanity subjecting himself to that humbling himself to humanity and with the sole purpose of living a life to be killed to die as a sacrifice for those whom which are called to follow him you see the good news of christmas the good news of jesus coming into humanity is also the same story and the same good news that we recognize each Easter in his death and his resurrection um, because it's all part of the same story. Matt Chandler, the pastor, says it this way. He says, the manger and the cross are connected. And if they're not, well then, one of them doesn't matter. Peter Cross says it this way. He says, without Easter, Christmas is just a glorified birthday. And without the cross of Christ, the manger is just some pieces of wood. And so maybe for you today, um, maybe you've been a Christian, you know, for a long time, but the most practical thing that you can functionally do to follow Christ more this Christmas season and all the seasons of your life is not to try harder, but to actually flip that and get back to trusting more that you need to press into your relationship with Christ yet again to be reminded of uh, the life-giving vitality of the Christian life that comes in, the simple acts of prayer and looking at his word and applying it and being obedient to it in our lives, not in our own strength, but Christ within us, the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what Galatians 2.20 says. It says that we have been crucified with Christ, that it is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so maybe you need to press into that yet again and not be told something new, not write the gospel off as basic, but once again foundational, that Jesus Christ is doing the work in me, not me doing the work on me. Or maybe for you today, maybe, maybe you've never heard the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ communicated in a way that, that made sense. And maybe today it's starting to click for you that, okay, I can't save myself. It is Jesus Christ who came to save me from my sin and to lead my life, both in this life and frankly forever, for all of eternity, I want in. And so today, you might have come in just, you know, it's part of tradition to go to Christmas or services around Christmas, but what you intended for a tradition today, might invite you to experience a transformation, that Jesus Christ wants to transform your life and your eternity. And so you don't have to leave here today the same way you walked in. You can cross that line of faith and say, I know I don't have all the answers. I've had questions before I came in and I'm gonna have questions when I leave. But whatever it means to begin to make Jesus Christ that savior and Lord of my life, I want in. So here in a few moments, uh, myself along with some other ministry leaders are gonna be up front to pray with you about any matters you might have in your life. Uh, But most specifically, for that matter, uh, we'd be honored to talk with you about that. And so with that, I invite you to stand. And as we sing uh, this song that we've been singing each week, reminding us of how we join the generations in worshiping God and sharing this good news that Jesus has come, uh, let's sing and also let me pray for us in this regard. Father, we want to leave here today just the way that the, that the shepherds left uh, their encounter with you. And that was praising and giving all the glory to you for the way in which you changed their perspective on their life and eternity and your coming uh, on that day. Father, that's available to those who are in this room today. God, I pray that if um, there's someone who is unclear of whether or not they've made that commitment, maybe they've been sitting here for years, but have just not made that commitment, uh, that profession of faith, that they're going to walk with you God, I pray that you would physically move their feet to help them to walk forward, to have that conversation and commit in the hearing of uh, their church, along with some ministry leaders here, that decision to receive you and to follow you all the days of their life. Father, we trust you with this. And uh, again, as we said, we give you all the glory. And so we sing this to you now as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.